You're listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim. To find out more, go to calvaryanaheim.org. And now, here's Pastor James. Well, we've been studying through the book of 1 Samuel, and uh, you might remember that back in 1 Samuel 27, David became really discouraged after fleeing from Saul and playing this game of count and mouse for a long period of time, years. He becomes discouraged, and he has a lapse in his faith. And so he leaves Israel and seeks asylum amongst the enemies, the Philistines, Uh, He's headquartered there at Ziklag, this town there in Philistine territory, and he conducts raids on the enemies of Israel, but he lies to King Achish, and he claims that he's conducting these raids against Israel and her allies. So he goes out, he raids against the enemies of Israel, he takes their stuff, and he shares it with Achish, gives him tribute, And so King Achish thinks, oh, I've got David in my pocket now. And so David is thinking he's getting away with this and this is the best course of action for him when really he's just not trusting the Lord and he's fraternizing with the enemy. What does it mean to fraternize? It means to associate or form a friendship with someone, especially when one is not supposed to. And in this case, he's not supposed to be forming a friendship with the enemy in this way. Remember that these are the same people that he came against when he took that sling and ran towards Goliath and brought Goliath down. These were the people that were cursing God's people and cursing God himself. And they were the enemies of God. And now... David is fraternizing with them. And so after one year and four months, David is asked to accompany Achish in joining the other Philistines to war against Israel. And the Philistines push deep into Israel territory in the Jezreel Valley, which is also called the Valley of Megiddo, which is the valley in which the Battle of Armageddon will take place in the last of the last days, the very end times. Meanwhile, Saul has sought direction from the dead Samuel through a medium and was told he will die the next day in battle. And that brings us to 1 Samuel 29 as David is in this predicament where he's heading out with his men with the Philistines to go battle against Israel God's chosen people. So we get to 1 Samuel 29, verse 1. It says, Then the Philistines gathered together all their armies at Aphek, and the Israelites encamped by a fountain, which is in Jezreel, again the valley of Megiddo. And the lords of the Philistines passed in review by hundreds and by thousands. But David and his men passed in review at the rear with a kish. So the lords of the Philistines, I picture them sitting perhaps on thrones or whatever, (laughs) you know, lots of pomp and circumstance, and the armies are parading past them. And then here comes this group of Hebrews, Israelites, in the number. 
In verse 3, it says, Then the princes of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And we want to pause here and take some time on this. Because the Philistines see the Hebrews in their number and they say, what are these Hebrews doing here? You see, the Hebrews are God's peculiar people. Peculiar means weird. It's just a little bit nicer than weird. They're different. They're separate. They're set apart. They're to be noticeably different in the world. They're not to act like the godless nations around them. But they're supposed to be as much like God and reflect God's character as possible. And so here, when they're amongst the heathen, godless nation of the Philistines, even the Philistines recognize that there's an issue with this. What are these Hebrews doing here? This is a question that David and his men should be asking themselves. What are we doing here with the enemy going against our own people? Now, we don't know if David's plan was to turn against them in the midst of battle, turn against the Philistines or not. But there they are amongst the Philistines getting ready to go into battle and fight the children of Israel. You see, again, Jews are God's special chosen people separate from the pagan nations, and this is the way it's been since their inception. We go all the way back to Abraham. So let's turn together to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis 17. You remember Abraham and God in Genesis 12 appeared to Abraham and said, Abraham, leave this country in which you dwell and go to a land I will show you. And hey, I'm going to make your name great and make you a great nation and all the families of the world are going to be blessed through your seed, through your descendants. We know that's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But I'm going to make you a great nation is what he says. And then he goes on and explains to Abraham that this nation of people, they're going to be different. They're going to be a separate people. They're going to be a peculiar people. And they're going to follow me. I'm going to be their God and they are going to be my people. And we get to Genesis 17, and and this is after Ishmael's been born. It's been 15 years of quiet. Remember that Abraham, he he faltered in his faith. God had told him, even though you can't have kids, I'm going to do a miracle, and your wife Sarah is going to bear a child. And they got impatient with the Lord as they grew older. And so Abraham went into Sarah's handmaid, and she became pregnant and had Ishmael, And then God said, no, Ishmael's not the one, but Sarah's going to bear a child and she will be, uh, he, that child, Isaac, will be the one from which the promises come. And then God was quiet for 15 years. And then Genesis 17, verse 1, read along with me. It says, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. I'm going to fulfill my promise to you, Abraham. Even though your faith has faltered, I am faithful. 
and I am going to fulfill the promise I've made to you. Verse 3, then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. Adding this breathy syllable into his name. And I love this. I love the symbolism of, of this because Abram was a man who would, was living after his flesh, doing his own thing. And now God is like, no, you're not going to be Abram anymore. You're going to be Abraham. The word spirit means breath. And God is adding breath to Abram's name to make him Abraham. And you see, before he was living after the flesh, now he's to live after the Spirit of God. And so it is with us. We're not to continue to live after the flesh as we become Christians, but we're to live after the Spirit and be Spirit-led instead of led by our own bodily drives and selfishness. And he goes on to say in the middle of verse 5, For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Man, remember, he's 99 years old and he, he hasn't had the promised child through Sarah yet. So it takes a lot of faith to believe what God's saying right now. Verse 8, also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger. All the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. Hey, look, here's what I'm doing for you, Abraham. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to do a miracle in your life. You're going to have a miracle baby, and that baby's going to go on and, and have descendants more than the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky, innumerable is what he's saying. And here's what you're going to do. Here's your part, Abraham, you and your descendants after you. He says in verse 10, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. Circumcised. Circumcision is when the excess skin on a man's private area is removed surgically. And so they took a sharp rock and they would take a child at eight days old and, and cut off that foreskin. And this was symbolic. It was an outward show of what was to be happening in the heart with these people, the people of God, that they were to cut away the flesh and remove it from them and live for God, no longer again following after bodily drives, but instead living for God, living for God. Verse 11, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between 
me and you. Remember Eve, when she sinned in the garden, she gave in to the flesh. The fruit looked good to eat. It was wonderful to make one wise. It was appealing to the eyes. And so she, she rejected God in his way for the flesh. And we see this played out over and over again in the Bible. And even in our own lives, as we look at our past, and in the lives of people who are forsaking the Lord today. Lives of selfishness. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to be self-sacrificing. I don't want to own up to my own actions and live with the consequences. But instead, I want to act selfishly, selfishly. And so I'm going to feed my flesh. I'm not going to wait until I'm married to have a sexual relationship. I'm not going to seek out commitment. But instead, I'm going to lie and seduce and tell this girl I love her when I really don't. I just want to jump in bed with her. And then when I do that and she becomes pregnant, I'm going to encourage her to get an abortion because that would ruin our lives to have this child. And so then she goes to the abortion clinic, pressure from her boyfriend, perhaps just doing it on her own volition as well, and says, you know, I got a life to live. Or I already have a couple kids already and I can hardly pay for them. And so it goes. And, and so, you know, when we think about our own selfishness, we can empathize with those feelings. Man, it's tough when you make a, a wrong choice and you have to live with the consequences. Sometimes for the rest of your life, we're talking venereal diseases, we're talking alcoholism and the damage it does to the family that can become ongoing, right? But we have to own up to what we've done, call sin what it is, it's sin, it's selfishness, it's living for the flesh, and don't add evil to evil but make it right. And so God is saying here, Abraham, you and your descendants, you guys aren't going to live, you're not going to be like that. You're going to be like me. You're going to follow after me. Be imitators of God as dear children. Live selflessly. Live sacrificially. Live in self-denial. And the beauty of it is you're going to have joy in that. That's where you're going to find joy. The joy of being forgiven by God and the joy of then pursuing relationship with him and saying, God, I'm part of your family now. I'm going to live according to your culture. And I'm going to circumcise my heart and throw away pursuit of the flesh at all costs. And instead, live for you. Live for you. And it's beautiful how everything comes into place. If we've got the, the vertical right, 
the vertical relationship, us and God, then the horizontal works itself out. Those relationships with one another, the needs are met, and it is a beautiful, beautiful thing, and it's great joy, and it's good for society. When we get away from this, this gets messed up. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death, and everything falls apart in our lives individually, and everything falls apart in our society, and that's what we're witnessing today, more and more. And so God says to Abraham and to his descendants, not you. You're different. You're peculiar because everybody else is chasing the flesh, doing what feels good, doing what's right for themselves, what they think is right for themselves, but not you. You're going to be a special people, a covenant people. And the sign of that covenant will be circumcision among the males. Verse 12, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. So the people born to them and the people that would be added to them as Jewish people, in this culture, this is what we do. We are a people of God. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now, let's turn to Exodus chapter 19. So we've seen here in Genesis 17 that God institutes the sign of the covenant, circumcision, not living after the flesh, but instead following God and his way. And in Exodus 19, before God shows up on Mount Sinai and gives the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel, he speaks to Moses here as he's gathering the people before the mountain. Again, this is Exodus chapter 19, verse 3. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Remember the ten plagues? Remember they were slaves in Egypt? Pharaoh wouldn't let them go. And then God sent these plagues upon the Egyptians. And then when they were broken, they surrendered and submitted to God and let the people go. But then they changed their minds as the people went and they came after them. And so God spared them by parting the Red Sea and they went across on dry land. God did amazing miracles. And as it says here in verse four, he bore them up on eagles' wings and brought them to himself. You see the intimacy here? He's saying, you're my people. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to do miracles for you like you've never seen before, like the world has never seen before. You're my people. Verse 5, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests 
and a holy nation. The word holy means separate, different, peculiar. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Verse 7, so Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So the people agree to the terms of the contract. They're ready to sign on the dotted line and they give verbal commitment. And then God, he presents the Ten Commandments to them. They hear the law presented to them by Moses. And later on, they agree and they say the same words. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Yes, we want you to be our God. We will be your people and we will obey your laws and your rules. Problem, sin nature, the flesh, it's too strong. It's too strong for us to do it in our own will. And so they find that they cannot do it. And that's one of the major themes in the whole Bible, isn't it? That man can't save himself. That we are not capable of living good enough to save ourselves. And so we need God to come down to us and to save us. And that is exactly what he did when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, from heaven to earth to live the perfect life that we could not live and to be the sacrifice for us on the cross. And so he sent his son, Jesus, to bear our sins upon himself because there was no other way, friends. There was no other way that people could be saved. Now, here's the cool thing that Israel there, we see they're God's chosen people. They're God's special treasure on the earth. And it begs the question that the Philistines asked when they saw David and his men there. What are these Hebrews doing here among us, Philistines? And again, David should have been asking that question himself and gotten out of there and not been there. But God is so gracious and God spares him from having to go out into battle against his own people, as we're going to find out next week. Now, yes, Israel's God's special chosen people, but what about Gentiles? What about non-Jewish people? What happens to them? Do they ever get a chance? And the answer is yes. Because when Jesus died on the cross, it, salvation and the offer of salvation was extended to Gentile believers. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 2 with me now. Ephesians 2. Ephesians is in the New Testament. Go eat popcorn, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Or if you prefer, God eats peaches and cream. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. The Apostle Paul is speaking and he says, Therefore, remember that you, who's you? It's the church at Ephesus. Remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, so this would be Gentile unbelievers, uncircumcised, not part of God's family, in the flesh, by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, speaking of Jews who are known for being circumcised to show that they are the people of God, 
verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens or foreigners from the commonwealth of Israel. They were not part of God's family, his nation. And strangers from the covenants of promise, those promises made to Abraham and to David and to others, having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13, but now, now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We who were foreigners, not Jewish people, not part of God's family, have been brought near through faith as we put our trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. We are brought near and we can have relationship with him. We were enemies of Christ, but now we're reconciled. We're brought together, brought together. You've been listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim in Anaheim, California. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to visit. Check out calvaryanaheim.org for location, service times, and more. We'd love to hear from you. To let us know how God has touched your life through this program or to submit a prayer request, simply go to calvaryanaheim.org and scroll down to the Get in Touch form at the bottom of the homepage. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to listen again next time for another edition of Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Anaheim.